I have like one mantra that I go with, which is people hate us during planning because we're trying to set quotas. The second the quotas are set, my single objective is to crush those numbers. And I make that extremely clear to all the sales leadership is that I am your partner in crime. So just like beating your quota. So whatever I'm doing and putting in place is like, I always have a true North Star of that, right? Which is like, yeah, I'm partnering with you to grow this business. And anything I'm doing is always going to be having that like in front and center. This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast. Here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing. Stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Howdy, howdy, howdy. I'm starting to get a hang of that howdy high. Feels pretty good. Also, want to try this out for size. Listeners, let me know, what do you think instead of Sasserman? What do you think of Was Boss? A little too, like, egotistical. I, I kind of want to like create like a barbecue sauce called wasp boss sauce. What do you think about that? Well, we digress because we're not here talking about me. We're talking about today's guest. Rob Blumquist, the VP of Revenue Operations at Sinkly, is going to come on, grace our airwaves. He's going to talk about a few interesting things. If you look at Rob's LinkedIn, something that I noticed is that in most of his positions, in his stints from the past, he has strategy in his title. And you're thinking, oh my God, I want to sit at that table. That sounds fun. I get to influence strategy without all the headaches and the hassle and the anxiety of being a seller and carrying a bag. Funny enough, Rob will say, it is not all peaches and cream and the grass may not be greener. There's plenty of you know what waiting for you in any position. But I do love what Rob talks about in this episode about how in this sort of sought after Garden of Eden arena of being on the strategy side of go to market. Well, how do you get there? He's going to talk about that. Also importantly, given that he's been in revenue operations for many, many years, he's going to talk about, well, how does RevOps play nicely? How is it an organization that is simpatico with sales as opposed to a source of friction or interference or deceleration? So without further ado from Wasp Boss Sauce, yes, find it in any grocery store. No, I'm just kidding. Yet. But enjoy this episode of Reveal with Rob Blunquist. DJ, spin that. Welcome to Reveal. Thank you so much, Danny. I'm really happy to be here. Appreciate it. And that was one of the best intros I've received in my life. That's amazing. I need a little bit more of that once in a while. Should we just call yeah. it here? Like, do you just want to I mean, like, end it. on this high? All right. I'm hey, thanks done. everyone for listening. We'll see I you. Just love that. I'm just going to record that and play that opening every day. I wake up and get my workday started. Hell yeah. Happy to help. Perfect. Well, you are rightfully deserving of such glowing praise given your illustrious career. And our listeners would love to, I think, start by better understanding. Okay, you cut your teeth at LEK. It's a management consultancy. I'm sure through doing a lot of diligence and a lot of just different deals that has served you well as you've matriculated through operations. But to begin with, walk us through kind of what that role looks like, the competencies you developed. And is that also inextricably tied to your success? Do you need to have management consulting or MBA experience to do the stuff you do? That's, I know, probably three, four, five, a dozen different questions. So <laughs> skin that cat how you see fit. Like, I think it just builds your toolkit in a certain way. And yeah. part of that is about having that executive presence, that ability to communicate and articulate in like a very succinct way, P piecing together 
like data in order to then like prove out and, and like make objective decisions and reasoning. I think those are like the elements that you build uh -huh. in management consulting that really helps you is also like taking something like very abstract, figuring out your way to like build your hypothesis as to what the answer might be, testing the hell out of that. Yeah. And then like coming up with something that is like a decision that you feel is like very evidence backed. And that's what you really learn is like that skill set of taking like data, translate that into something that you can actually like push into an organization and drive. And then I wouldn't lie, like there's just a part of it that makes you good at making slide decks and like being able to just make a lot of slides. <laughs> Slideware is important yeah. because you need to put stuff on paper all the time and you just need an ability to articulate your ideas and you just start getting good at like building that narrative and putting that material down. Then, yeah, I guess lastly, just to like highlight a couple other things is you get that breadth of exposure to just a lot of different industries. And then you get various, like if you think about my role today, you get a bunch of different go-to-market structures, different channel coverage, different sales approaches. So you start to get all this variety of exposure that is really important. And for me, I did a lot of like due diligence work. So that meant like, just like digging into a company and really understanding their commercial operations inside and out and like making a decision as to like, Hey, are they good? Or are they not good? And so within all of that context, it sort of actually like sets up a really good toolkit for a change into RevOps, but with a bit more of like a strategic lens to it. And thinking about our audience, which is made up of folks in RevOps. Yeah folks that are in sales, marketing, all over the place. But especially for our listeners who are early enough in their career, maybe they're in the early phases of being an SDR or a BDR. And yeah, that yeah. job inherently comes with a different, not necessarily more, not necessarily less, but a different, we'll say, dimension of pressure. Like the idea of carrying the bag, having quota, being up against the clock. Certainly as you pivot out of being quota carrying yeah. as an SDR, an AE, or even a manager, and you think about what is the pivot and trade-offs for sure going into ops, I'm wondering for you now, looking back in the rearview mirror in your career, would you say that either the time you spent at LEK or even complementing that, the MBA that you have, is that a prerequisite to being good and proficient yeah. in your field? Because never in, in the studio are we going to dissuade people from ongoing education or professional development. And yet being really honest and realistic, not everyone has the means to pay yeah. for the tuition or to get in and absorb that additional financial obligation. So talk to us about, can we yeah. get to your title of director of strategy, VP of strategy without those, I don't know, notches on your belt? I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you that two of one of like, two of some of like my highest performing employees I've ever had work for me, didn't have a track consulting background. One was an ex-SDR and one was uh -huh. an ex-AAE. So you raise like those two roles and you say, you know, how did they get into RevOps? And then how did they be so successful underneath my organization? And I think there was two different angles to that that was really important. The SDR like naturally came with a pretty like strong analytical background, right? So in their spare time and when they were thinking about like how they actually were doing their SDR job, which is like can be very like numbers-based and a little bit opsy at times, they just like fully embraced yeah. that. And then they took like those side hustle projects, brought that to the RevOps team at LinkedIn in this case, and then was like, hey, look at these like things I've done. And everybody was like, oh, pretty impressive. Like 
let's get you into the mix over here. And then came into RevOps and had a super fast acceleration of a career. So like, absolutely uh-huh. not. You, you don't need to do that. You just need to find like the, your sort of like superpower within that realm, which is great about RevOps, right? There's like so many different areas you can be amazing at, whether that's like your stakeholder management, your analytical you know, powers, you whatever it might be. You can find an angle into RevOps and then you can build out the rest of that toolkit. The other example I would quickly give is there was a sales rep who was amazing in, in the RevOps role. Mm-hmm. And that was because his partnership from a stakeholder perspective, working with the sales leaders, helping them to craft their strategy, help them, helping them to grow their business, think about like what they're doing, how they're deploying their resources. He was like amazing at that, right? And, and he had the background from sales right? So then he could bring it to life within that organization and craft that strategy and deploy it into that market. And so if I go back and I think about actually all the best, some of the best people that have worked for me in RevOps, yeah, there's a handful of those McKinsey's, Bain, BCG types that are in there. And of course, come with that pedigree background. And yeah, they're, they're great. But actually there's the people who have a bit of grit and a bit of hustle to them that come in and really embrace and learn. And that's like amazing. And also I think it, you, you have to take part in that development, establish like the protocols and the programs to help foster people like that. But yeah. And in these two sort of success stories, the former yeah. SDR, former AE, they were in the organization already. So I'm, I'm asking yeah. these questions because oddly enough, last week, I have a buddy, Chris, and Chris has been a longtime seller. We worked together at a former company and he got his MBA. He's continued to be an enterprise seller and he's trying to break in. And the yeah. paradox of this whole situation is that he needs someone to give him a fair shake. And people keep saying, you're a great candidate, but we just want you to have more ops experience. He's like, I'd love to have more ops experience. I just don't even know where to start. So in the sort of pivot out of, we'll say, where most people cut their teeth in a sales capacity mm-hmm. to get into an organization, is that the only way? Or would you actually ever hire someone from the outside that didn't present more customarily or conventionally with a McKinsey or a Bain so, background oh, yeah. or even a previous RevOps background? Yeah, so that's, that's a tough call. That's interesting. Like, I haven't done that yet for many of my hiring. It's like hire a rep yeah. directly. In. But I would say, like, I have a couple of thresholds and it depends on, like, where they're coming in at what level. Yeah, They passed my Excel test and my case study. You know, you might stand a chance then, but I'd say the barrier will be a yeah. tiny bit higher because, like, the, the immediate areas I'll try to probe into I'll always lean on planning, right? I'm just going to say strategic planning is like a big foundation to RevOps. You run a great planning cycle. You can pretty much direct the entire strategy of like the go-to-market, right? So then I'd be leaning into like how they would think about planning. And if they can like get through that hurdles, then I'd be pretty, you know, I could feel confident they can do that. So I'll say there is a bit of a hurdle there. You'd probably have to side hustle a little bit in wherever you're at and focus on something a little bit analytical, something that tangentially relates to planning. So what I've seen is like some reps will take a lead on territory planning or something for that year or something and say, hey, like, let me lead this across my team. And then they take a role in that process and that really helps them, right? Then then they then they can go in the interview and be like, oh yeah, I ran territory planning for my region. Oh, how did you do that? What were you thinking about? And then, so we can you can start to, see how you could lean into certain areas. Well, I appreciate you talking about sort of the barriers because from the outside looking in, 
it is this mystical arena where you only drink Evian and blue M&Ms and it sounds magical. So oh, right. for those yeah. folks listening who want to explore how you, the uh, warnings no, about what comes with, yeah, let's be the warnings of what comes with folks too. Right. Um, yeah. And all these, you know, right, give us the good, the, the bad, the ugly. You got the prima donna salespeople going around just telling us what to do. you right. So, and you know, <laughs> you're out there crushing your quotas, making, making the big bucks and we're behind the scenes trying to craft the engine. Right. So, I try to be like the Wizard of Oz behind the scenes, but you know, the Wizard of Oz doesn't get that much credit. <laughs> so, well, buyer beware. The grass may not, in fact, be greener, but Evian sure is sweet. So I appreciate you, that. You, like to, you, you know, know no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah. You want to be the person behind the curtain, you know, and I like that. I think it's like, I think it's important. You know, you need that person that's like behind there actually really trying to like drive the organization. And, and that's, that's how I try to, that's how I try to embody RevOps in the org. Well, I appreciate that you talk about this idea that it's behind the curtain because the word I used before was sort of this mystical or mysterious or ambiguous <laughs> function that is, I mean, unquestionably mission critical. And I think that there's a lot of times misunderstandings about RevOps. So you guys mm -hmm. do territory planning and quota allocation and many, many other things. And I think oftentimes because you're trying to institute process to, as you said, build the engine, it can be misinterpreted or misunderstood by the salespeople who feel the stress of carrying the bags. Oh, God, they're just creating process and so roadblocks my creativity or it interferes with my efficiency or whoever designed this. And in the time that you've been in the profession, I'm wondering, how do you combat that misunderstanding, overcome that stigma so that when people say, oh my God, thank goodness we have Rob at the helm, all yeah. he's doing is actually removing friction Talk to us about yeah. that, because I think that'll also be a really nice segue into how do you do that at even larger scale at Sinkly when you're the acquirer of multiple, if not dozens of companies? Yeah. So I have like one mantra that I go with, which is people hate us during planning because we're trying to set quotas. The second the quotas are set, my single objective is to crush those numbers. And I make that extremely clear to all the sales leadership is that I am your partner in crime to just like beating your quota. So whatever I'm doing and putting in place is like, I'm always have a true North star of that. Right. Which is like, yeah, I'm partnering with you to, you know, grow this business and anything I'm doing is always going to be having that like in, in front and center. So if I'm thinking yeah. about like change management and I always am thinking about the change curve, like what is the adoption going to be like? What are people going to be saying about this new program? For instance, like now we're, we're basically like rolling out a new global CRM that's going to go live at the end of the year. And I'm, I'm concerned about what you're saying, like to your point, like, uh, like they, I'm going to have a new tool where they have to do contracts in our, you know, CLM tool. And they're probably going to hate that. But the reality is, is like, it's going to make our customers love us and make it easier for our customers to do business with us. If I can achieve that then the reps will feel that, like come back to them and they'll say, well, actually like Revo is making it like easier for our customers to transact with us, easier for the, the barrier to entry, the hurdle, everything they do with this company is now just simpler. And if I can achieve that, then I can like drive that volume of sales, drive that flow of deals. And that's what I'm always after is like, make that customer experience just like amazing. Then the reps will feel that, they'll understand that, then they'll drive like then they'll be in a true partner partnership position with RevOps. 
Is that a conscientious sort of choice that you make when you decide, hey, we're going to institute this new CLM tool? And you know, at first blush, the knee-jerk reaction is, damn it, Rob. No, But then do you have to sort of go on the offensive and say, hey, like your customers are going to love this. So trust us. There's whiff them. What's in it for me? You no, as well. no, my first instinct right now is like, hey, I need those like, you know, contracts that are getting signed on paper and potentially like PDF'd over and no ability to actually understand what's on them. Like I'm thinking to myself, I got to stop that. But in the back end, I'm saying yeah. my change management story. So for anybody at Syncly that's in sales listening to this, like ignore this, part, but, you know, I'm going to have a different story <laughs> out of the field, which is like, Hey, like click of the button, you're like sending a contract out. You're getting this thing signed back. By the way, that's automatically go. going in and provisioning licenses and entitling our customers. And, you know, they're getting their logins faster and this is happening. And so, you know, cool. they understand that actually like the journey and the intent isn't to just like, you know, monitor them. It's not like we're sitting over there and trying to monitor their every movement. It's like, let's make it easier. So. I start okay. from a place of like, it's broken. Then I go to fix it, but then realizing the fix is actually going to be the best thing for the org either way, right? And it's not going to be more onerous on the organization. It's clear that Rob is passionate about RevOps and the potential that RevOps has to change how your business operates for the better. Well, still don't believe him? Take a look at this. According to Think RevOps, organizations that maintain focus on alignment achieve up to 19% faster revenue growth and up to 15% higher profitability than those other organizations that deprioritize RevOps. In addition, hold on to your knickers because companies who have prioritized RevOps have seen results as high as 200% on marketing ROI and sales productivity boosts of as high as 20%. Boom, mic drop, case closed. RevOps is no joke. So let's go back and hear from the master himself, RevOps, Rob. Do we like that? Very alliterative. Let's hear from Rob about how you can better tune how RevOps plays with the broader organization. Very good. Talk to us about because of even we're starting to see the resurgence of inorganic growth through a resurgence in, you know, M&A activity. We saw Mosaic get bought. We saw Aptio get bought. And we're seeing, again, that acquirers are back on the markets. Awesome. For yep. your business at Syncly, when you guys are doing a lot of the acquiring, how do you think about being sort of in the hub and spoke model, so inextricably tied to the center of how this whole thing runs? How do you think about maintaining that smooth, frictionless efficiency beyond yeah. even the four walls of Syncly? But as you absorb these targets, for their sake and for the legacy Sinkly people. Talk to us about that. I'd say that's where you're, you venture into cultures. And I'll go through like a couple okay. of examples. There's just a vast like cultural component to what we specifically engage in at Sinkly. And so if you think about like the market we're in and what we're, we're, we're essentially like trying to do as a company is we're in the market of like spaces for living is what how we would define it. So you want to um, design a new kitchen, you're going to use our software. You want to design a new bathroom, you're going to use our software. You want to get like some custom cabinetry done in your living room, that's going to be done on our software. If you start to think about the entire interior of your house and how people are like, you know, doing any home upgrades, it's all going to be across our platform is the goal, right? 
So let's take like we we've like moved into new spaces for living, if you want to call it that. So then we enter into an acquisition with a company called RFMS, which is in like the flooring space, right? And recently, actually, just this week, we acquired another company in the flooring space. So now we're in like residential flooring, and then we're in like commercial flooring. And so you could start to get an idea how we start to build out. But everything within that yeah. space and what we're trying to accomplish is like, these are small companies, right? They're family-run organizations that probably for 20, 25 years have like, you know, been operating with, you know, this family that's been running it. And it's been quite a close-knit community. And I think they each come with their own cultural dynamics that you have to understand. And that's like really where you have to like start from in the M&A process, actually, mm -hmm. which is like, where is their maturity curve relative to the maturity curve I'm trying to drive, right? So like, let's take like, we'll have a recent acquisition and like, Oh, they don't even have a CRM. They're logging things in a spreadsheet. Their salespeople, some of them like like we've had acquisitions where we acquired companies and this they like people don't believe in quotas necessarily, right? Like they'll say, we just do a flat rate. And I'm like, but how do you measure performance? And so we start to get into like, we gotta like bridge this divide. So it can start from anywhere. It can start from, you know, like I don't even track bookings like or churn to I don't even track yeah. like quotas and performance. And then I start to think about from a RevOps angle, I'm like, oh my God, like I have this like major change journey to get these people on that is like quite significant, right? So the question is like, how do you do that? Like what, what do you do in order to um, enable that? And I have like a couple of like, like early playbook things and we've like built out an M&A integration playbook across RevOps, which touch on, touches on every pillar between like marketing ops, sales ops, like customer success and support, the whole like customer journey. And then plus even like enabling it, going into the enablement category, like where do the reps sit from like a capability mm -hmm. standpoint. And so we've like built out that playbook, but every company has to be different, right? So you can't come in you know, like you might come in and say, this is a 90 day playbook for a mature company, for an immature company that might be like, you know, a 260 day playbook. And then the last thing to say is like, these companies are ve ve like very successful, right? So you can't like yeah. tinker in the machine that has driven years and years of success, right? So you can't like impose, you know, the, like the Borg of Syncly comes in and just takes over and it's like, oh my God, what happens? And they, and then they, they, you know, you don't want them to lose their identity. You don't want them to lose what made them so successful for so long. So anyways, like the long story short is I think about that timeline of the M&A playbook, how we go into places, how we think about them transitioning into like the parent company. But then I also look at yeah. like, what do they do great? What has made them successful? and then bring that learnings into the company also. So I'm going on a bit here, but like we would have a recent acquisition that was like amazing at e-commerce, right? So we'd say, well, actually like they have a great playbook. Like they have like a trial period that like, you know, goes up at a certain time, really high conversion rates, yeah. good flow in the e-commerce channel. Let's like embrace that. Let's see like how we can start to pull that into the rest of the business. So. We try to like cross pollinate. We try to like wear, watch our timelines. We try to make sure it's yeah. like 
not like forcing her hand really hard. That makes sense. I love that even as the acquirer, you don't always find that it's relevant, necessary, even, you know, conducive to your success to jam the sinkly way down the target's throat. So appreciate that humiliating fact. Love, that you we issue where you can learn times. things from. Yeah. We would love to jam it down their throat at times, but I, I have to say, like, I've learned one thing, like, you, you know, you come from like a LinkedIn or something like that and you understand like change management and culture really well. And yeah. I, I try not to tinker in that arena, right? Like, I do not want to mess with a well, good sales culture and impact yeah. in a negative way. So talking about culture, you've had a career that has spanned multiple continents. So mm -hmm. talk to us as well as you preserve culture. What is it that you preserve for the sake of standardizing across this entire global empire, but also you don't blindly standardize at the expense of regional nuance. So talk to us about where you thread that needle. So there's like one aspect of what has made like, well, I'll talk specific to Sinkly. Sinkly has been extremely successful because of our like local presence. And I'd say in general, like mm -hmm. the company had a, a very like, fo like focused energy to say like, let's be the best in an individual like region and country. And that was the yeah. approach. So now as like, we're maturing. We're actually like trying to reformulate our strategy and say like, how do you remain global? How do you get like global capability sets, but retain like yeah. a local presence and like a local feel to the product, to everything yeah. that you do. And that's like, that's extremely hard, right? Because you have, you want like your support capabilities in a specific region to be like, you know, a German person picking up the phone and talking to a German support agent, right? But at the same time, like, you know, maybe that's not the most cost-effective way to go about the business. So we're really thinking about like our specific points and like our customer touch points. And we start with the customer from that angle and saying like, is the customer feeling like they're getting a local presence and that like that specific, like what they're experiencing mm -hmm. just like trend, like leaves them feeling like they're not getting like, cause they put, they're buying a premium product from us. They don't want to feel like they're getting, you know, either offshored or this or that. So like, we're really trying to provide yeah. that exceptional level of experience. So then to balance that is quite difficult. And so it takes certain investments in certain areas and then centralizing and building other functions in other areas. So then you think about like my career and where it's spanned. Right. And then you're saying, okay, well, how, like, how are you trying to thread that, which is okay, you need to build an SDR function and that SDR function needs to be global. And like, what are you thinking about for like the, you know, the Middle East or DAC or the UK and whatever. And so I'm taking like that approach, which is like very specific markets, which I know act in different ways. Mm -hmm. And then I overlay that with like, what is our competitive positioning in our market share? And I start to say like, okay, well, DAC, we have an opportunity. So it's like, go local, build your presence, be like on the court, be like available to our customers. And then in some other markets where we have an extremely high market share, may like scale back a bit, consider some centralization, just make sure though that you're not losing your customers in that journey at all. Does that make sense? That's great. <laughs> so 
as we continue to peel back what yeah. constitutes Rob's winning playbook, I've got two more questions and then okay. we'll wrap. I asked this of a peer of yours, also a VP of RevOps, and mm. because of the rising popularity, I mean, it's literally been in the era of the rise of RevOps. How many times have we heard that? And yes. you with how critical technology is to being successful in today's day and age. Well, yep. when you guys purchase the technology, you need to ensure that it seamlessly integrates with how you operate. So obviously you have, if not the nuclear vote, you certainly have a preferred share vote in vendors coming in and trying to win business from you. Yeah. What moves the needle for you when you're prospecting? In other words, you must get hit up all the time by fellow BDRs and SDRs and AEs who want your, I mean, obviously your mind share, but more importantly, they want your budget. What yes. actually tugs at your heartstrings where you're, you're inclined to want to respond? Man, that's a super interesting question. I'll, I'll, first off, there's timing. Let's just be clear. If I have a problem yeah. right now and I yeah. get hit up with the right BDR at the right time, I'll bite. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Right now, I'm looking at like the opportunity to think about how we want to scale some of our SDR function. And it's going to be, you know, it'll be a long journey to do that on my own and build that team myself and, you know, build that all out. But I happenstance got hit up by, you know, a BDR like two days ago about building out an SDR function, like, you know, outsourced SDRs. And I'm like, oh, like that was top of mind for me a couple of days ago. And then this person just hit me up and now I'm, you know, today I'm on a call and next week we're looking at like yeah. what a proposal looks like. So I have to say like there's timing, which probably in the realm of okay. like BDR, SDR world is like, you know, figuring out what what are people's problems, making sure you're top of mind and you're, you know, staying present and visible to somebody like myself. So there's, so there's that. And maybe that falls into the realm of luck, but I do think it was just like, I was going to say, are we going to, are we going <laughs> to build our SDR strategy around serendipity? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, I know. So, and then what, what else helps in that regard is like, I'll give like a few of the things that are my pet peeves. If you start to send me those emails that say, I haven't heard from you and this is the last time I'm going to send you an email. And then like, actually like a week later, I still get another email from you. It's like, you're just totally blacklisted. I hate those types of approaches, which is just this like constant. Yeah. What has opened up the door in a few arenas is like, like, I'll be in the market considering something like looking at certain platforms. And if I get something that comes across with like a pretty like, you know, articulate way that I understand the ROI, I understand what I'm getting out of the product and what the opportunity is, then like I'll, I'll entertain it at that point at which like, you know, I'm in the market for something or like the other thing to be clear is that. The company as a whole, everybody in my company knows like what we're in the market for generally. And like, I'll get forwarded BDR messages to me and then we'll actually respond. Right. So another point is, is like the multi-threading works, right? Like finding different channels and avenues. You may not know that the VP of RevOps mm -hmm. is the one making decision on that software, but other execs in the company are aware decisions are being made. So finding your avenues in, there's been a few times where I've taken calls or I've made software decisions on the basis of like what's being forwarded to me, right? So I'd say mm -hmm. keep the multi-threading okay. up, stay consistent and really like prove out the value in what you're sending me. So like 
if it is a little obscure software, maybe I haven't heard of a brand or something like that. I need it to like cut to the chase. Like, what am I getting out of this thing? Yeah. Like, what's the value to me rather than just like, here's my calendar. Do you want to set up time? Got it. Well, your recipe for getting blacklisted is not too dissimilar from your peer from the other week on her episode. <laughs> she said, don't even think about sending me the breakup email. And I'm sure you exactly. got those too. Where... Well, I got them, like, them like weekly. Like I would say like the persistence of some of these SDRs is like, it's really quite amazing. And it's almost like antagonistic at times. It's like, Jesus. I haven't even sent you an email, but you're, you've had like a full conversation with yourself for like two months now. <laughs> it's it both is. commendable, maybe a little creepy, maybe <laughs> bordering on stalking. It's like yeah, when you yeah. get the, how did they get my address and they sent me a package? Flattering, but creepy. I'm going to say like the other day I got a random call and I was like, how did they get my phone number? It freaked me out. I was like, I cannot believe yeah. I don't know how you get my number. And that was like, I don't know. Is that an automatic blacklist? I'm not sure. <laughs> so, okay. Um, Jury's yeah. out. We'll ask you again in another year. We won't be yeah. also disclosing your phone number. So you're safe. Well, Rob, just between everything that you've done to unpack what it's going to take to enter into that strategic arena within an organization to then sharing with us, okay, how do you responsibly and safely bring on new organizations, be incredibly mindful not to rattle and disrupt culture? And then, of course, preserving as well those regional, geographic, unique nuances. Just been an absolute wealth of wisdom. So I can't thank you enough. If you've listened to the podcast before, then you know what is going to be the grand finale of them all because we ask every single guest at the end of each episode the same question. So with no surprise, hopefully, to you, I don't intend to ambush you, but here it comes. Rob, if you could describe sales in just one word, what would it be? In one word. Okay. I'm going to go with, I want to say two words, which is bad. I'm going with like value, maybe. I'm going to go with like a, like, yeah. And to string that, I'm going value and I'll explain why you got to deliver customer value. All right. <laughs> That's it. So you did ambush me there and a little bit. When you talk about admit. delivering customer value. Yeah. Huh. yeah. <laughs> say more about what you have to deliver value. What do you mean by that? So. I think every company and every organization needs a true north on their customer value. And for us, we're sort of like working towards that. And you could say it's something like, how many kitchens do you design? How many bathrooms do you design? So what are like our customers seeing out of the, the value of our software that brings them, you know, that makes their business better and makes their customers happier and it makes them more efficient yeah. and, and stuff like that. So when I think about value, I think about that, that customer value and, and what that brings to light. Well, ladies and gents, he thought he might need a hyphen. He wasn't sure if he could get away with the second word, but he settled on value. You heard it from the Wizard of Oz himself, Rob Blumquist, the VP right. of Revenue Operations at Sinkly. Rob, thanks so much for gracing us with your presence at the Reveal Studios. Yo, thanks, Danny. Appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performance sales teams, head on over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard, come on, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen.